Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Well, we're so glad you're all here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're super excited you're here. And we just pray that God will touch everybody in this room today. Amen. And let's uh, welcome Pastor Mark. All right. How's everybody doing today? There is, there is, I know I sound like a broken record, but I want you to get more of God. I want you to experience what's there. And, uh, you know, we get caught up in the different sort of expressions of what it, you know, of the, of the, the truths, and we, uh, sometimes we get stuck on this one, you know, that, that Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost. And, and it, the idea is this in our minds, like, well, Jesus is doing the seeking. I'm the lost one. And, and therefore, it's all on him. And yet, Acts 17 talks about the fact that the way God has constructed this thing is that the nations would seek for him, would grope for him. Let me tell you something about groping. It's not very dignified. You can't grope like you know what you're doing. <laughs> do, do, do you understand that? Groping has a, an air of, of desperation, of blindness, of confusion, right? You know, you're, you're not groping excellently. It's not the graceful movements of your groping that matter. It's the intensity of your groping. It's your, you know, if you're feverishly, somebody's, you're late for an appointment, you lost your keys, you're running around the house. Uh, what does that look like? Hmm. I wonder where my, no. It's probably feverish. Have you ever been driving down the road and you're in a hurry and somebody's not in a hurry in front of you? And then the next week, you're not in a hurry, and some guy's trying to get past you, and you're thinking, chill out, buddy. <laughs> How the pursuit of God, what is the catalyst for the pursuit of God? What should that look like? People say, well, you know, God's not reluctant. No, he's not reluctant but he still has a demand for honor, that he would be the one that's dignified in the equation and not us. You know, this is, why, this is what David understood. This is why he's the king of the nation. He's the one everybody bows to. He's the one always dressed in the most splendorous robes. He's the one that is, he's the center of attention. And yet here when he's bringing the uh, the. Uh, Ark of the Covenant back to Zion, he's stripped down to a loincloth and he's dancing feverishly before the Lord to the degree that his wife is embarrassed. All right? I know probably more likely our wives have worshiped God to the degree that we are embarrassed, <laughs> men. <laughs> but in David's time, the shoe is on the other foot. I'd like to see some of that. I'd like to see more of that. <laughs> now, this is not my message this morning. This is a warm-up. This is a freebie. 
But listen, this is essential. We're going to touch on something akin to this, but, but in the scriptures, there's always notable miracles. There's resurrections, there's blind eyes being opened, and there's, you know, there's tons of healings and leprosy and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But there's three particular miracles that all have the same template to them. And the one is blind Barabbas, blind Barabbas, the woman with the issue of blood, and the paraplegic uh, who who is brought by his friends to Jesus. Do you know what the you know what the common thread in those three things were? Desire, unusual desperation, uh, unprecedented acts of faith, and you know what. You know what the problem with that, you know what you're risking when you do that kind of thing? You're risking the wrath of everybody else who's standing politely in line. But you know, why do we stand politely in line? You didn't do that at the concert when you were 16. <laughs> right? You know that, uh, I mean, what is, it, what, is it, what is it we are protecting? What is it we are guarding when we are standing politely in line? Our dignity. I want to I want to look good doing this. Yeah, no. God said no. I in this equation, I'm the only one that's looking good. There can only be one and it's going to be me. There can only be one and it's got to be him. Well, you know, if God really wanted to, he would take the first step. No, he's already taken the first step. He sent his son. And uh and that was unprecedented. That was an expression of love and sacrifice beyond what we can imagine, beyond what we know. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. And so, uh, God, I pray, Father, that you would raise up in our midst, Father, a, uh, a bold people. Thank you, Lord. Well, I'll try not to talk about that anymore today. But I believe it is one of the most essential keys to, to the kingdom. And, uh, and if, we want, if we want more, <laughs> I guess I'm not done. <laughs> if we want more, that's the requirement. You know, if, you, uh, if you're going for a personal best in sports, I guarantee you, your face will show it. Have you ever listened to those women tennis players? And all they're doing is hitting a ball. You're trying to get past your dignity, your pride, your need to be respected, your need to look important, your need to be, you know, the center of everything. You're pressing past that impulse, and that impulse is a gravitational pull that anchors you to self-consciousness in a way you cannot imagine. And part of getting more of God is breaking free of that. And you can't break free of that by nurturing that. And so why does God, well, why, what, is it, what is it about, you know, and I've heard uh, comedians mock the whole idea of God, worship God, you know, it's like, like God's got a big ego problem. No, it's just the relative greatness of what he is. And those same people have high regard for international singers and would not, you know, 
do anything to compare themselves or, you know, or they would create distance between them and the other one in that, in that, in that arena so as to not have, convey that we're, we're pretty much the same. That's what we do when there's a big difference. Oh, Wayne Gretzky, you play hockey? I play hockey too. We're the same. <laughs> I don't think so. We're not the same. What he's invited us to is to become the same. And, and the antidote for drawing near to him begins with the blood of Jesus and forgiveness, but then is, is realized through the pursuit, through the drawing near, through the sacrificial. I'm going to lean in because you deserve that. So last week I was talking about nudity, nakedness, and I'm going to continue to talk about that. Don't worry, we're not talking about your problems. But there's a phrase that we've heard before and it's been used and misused countless times down through history, naked and not afraid. Naked and not afraid. See, the original condition of mankind was that they had no clothing. And they did not even realize they had no clothing. And I've talked about this before, but when you consider it, if you think about it, and I've thought about it, that is an almost inconceivable idea, right? How could you be naked and not realize it? Be what Adam and Eve had was an inability to think about themselves. Self-consciousness is not your friend. Self-consciousness is not what defines us as humans. Self-consciousness is the premium, the foremost characteristic of being fallen. Now, intelligent people stuck in the world of self-consciousness make the best of it. They, 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 look, they, they perceive their world and then act accordingly in order to gain the most advantage over every situation, understanding that self-consciousness is the reality of our, of our sphere. And that's why, you know, people who are, well, that person is just not self-conscious, you know. They, they're unaware of how demanding they are, how difficult they are, how abrasive they are, you know, guilty. I've been abrasive. I've been unaware, and, uh, and there's a version of that that is, comes out of blindness, but I'm moving towards something where there's a lack of self-consciousness that comes out of being focused on him. At the end of the day, Adam and Eve had an ability to focus on God's God's realities so completely, so fully, beyond what we can recognize or acknowledge or realize. And what he's restoring to us is that. Now, let's back up a little bit. Genesis chapter 2, 21 to 25. Uh, I won't, you know, you know the context. Adam is in the garden. Uh, God wants to make him a wife. And so it's going to cost him. <laughs> <laughs> but it will be worth it. Yeah. You hear that, darling? <laughs> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. This is 21, 221. 
and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, uh, from, from the man he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She called, she shall be called woman. Look at that, Adam named her. How about that? No wonder so, so many people don't know what a woman is. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And then you have the classic statement, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. But that all changed very quickly when Adam and Eve ate of the tree that they were not supposed to. And uh, we won't get into, go into too many of the details of that, but let's just read the passage in uh, Genesis 3, verse 6 and 7. It says, Then when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So what did they do about that? Immediately, they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves coverings. They made for themselves coverings. You want to know what really happened there? There is, and, and there's no, this is speculation in one sense, but we know it's true in principle. They participated in the glory of God in a way that we didn't after the fall, but in a way that we can once we're born again. That, and so that's why we were talking about the whole idea of being clothed and naked last week. That there's a, a kind of clothing that God wants to do. There's a linen of righteousness. There's garments that are white as snow. There's a, there's a, a demand for us to have a certain kind of garment such that when the man we talked about last week entered into the feast, uh, he did not have the right garment on and he was thrown out where, where there would be gnashing of teeth and et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, garments are important. And you know, here, here's the dumb thing. Here's the dumb thing. Religious people have made it all about clothing in the past. Well, if you go to church, you have to wear, this is the prescription, because, you know, and it was, it was deemed, this was what God sought for. This was honoring to God. Well, let me tell you, if that's the best you can do, that's bad. Yeah, I'm wearing a tie for God. I'm sure he appreciates it. <laughs> Why don't you just not? Hallelujah. But the whole idea, see, the reality is, in the natural, we're not talking about how you clothe in the natural, we're talking about a condition we have in, our, in the spirit realm. We're talking about being clothed by the glory of God so that we are not ashamed, so that we are not provoked or intimidated by what we are. And, uh, and, but the impulse since the fall is that I will, I will cover myself with something that makes me feel better about myself. Something that does not 
cause me to recoil. And so ever since the fall, we've been doing that. You do that all the time. We start to do it most intensely in our lives in our teenage years. In your teenage years, once you start to wake up to the reality that people are judging you <laughs> and that there's a status to be gained by modifying my clothing, my appearance, my persona, then you begin to do that. And so all of a sudden your teenage kid shows up and he's, instead of wearing the clothes he's always wanted to wear, now it's like, I wanna show my underwear when I'm wearing my jeans. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh yeah, the further down, the better. I don't know, back in Ben's day, he was wearing women's skinny jeans. <laughs> he did a great video about that, by the way. <laughs> you know, these, these, these fads, but they're, they're a, a, a clothing, uh, a, a being a, a, an outer covering that makes us feel acceptable, acceptable, makes us feel important, makes us feel relevant, makes us feel with it. And sadly enough, it, it, it's, it's, it's part of the infection of fallenness. The infection of fallenness was this, that as soon as they were aware that they were naked and that could uh, you know, compromise their position, they immediately sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. Did I read that already? Yeah. So what is, what's the alternative here? not care well you still have to live in the world right i mean you still you, you still have co-workers who will judge you <laughs> you still have uh, a person people you need to get along with that your abrasiveness might compromise the relationships and so we're not saying ah just be yourself because yourself is not always palatable but we're on a journey where we're taking on a clothing. It's not just an outer garment, it's a nature that at its, at its essence has, has a garment with it. You see, the, the, the presence of God, the nature of God is a power at work inside of you to change your persona so as to change how you're perceived. But here's the thing is, we don't want to exchange what has worked thus far for what we're not sure will work. And so the process, as I talked about last week, is seen in this figure in Zechariah where the high priest is standing there. He has soiled garments. He has dirty garments. He has unclean garments. He has garments that really are from the earth in one sense, I guess you could say. And so he goes through this process where the first thing that happens is he's unclothed. He's made naked. And then he's clothed in white garments. This is representative of an exchange that God wants to do in our lives. Everything, everything around significance in the kingdom of God is about clothing. Uh, 
You can see the correlation. Every culture, well, you got to look like this. And that look, even if it's gangster, that look is street cred. However, if you go to Wall Street, you know, maybe a Zenya tie and suit might be better. But it's still an outfit. It's still a persona. It's still a, a clothing that's required for that world. Well, in the kingdom of heaven, there is a clothing required. But it's not suit and tie or jeans. It's a glory. It emanates from you, from the deepest part of you. And God is saying, listen, you got garments of your own making. You got fig leaves on you. That point in your life over here where you had that trauma and you decided never again will I be the butt end of people's jokes and you, you were angry at your parents because they didn't understand the requirement of that or you decided that, you know what, I think the best thing to weigh is they, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I've taken the way of stealth, some of you have said. I'm going to be invisible in the classroom. I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to not say what I really think. I'm gonna get along. I'm gonna look like the, the most compliant person in the world. But nobody will know what I really think. And that can work for you. And I won't talk about the principle. There are actually kingdom principles behind that. Just happen to be kingdom of darkness principles. But God is offering us an exchange for all the ways we've covered our wounds, for all the ways we've established a sense of worth, for all the, the modifications, all the things we've learned in order to navigate this world and keep ourselves from being on the outside looking in. You see, there's a much more important inside that we must pay attention to. We must become attentive to the requirements of the kingdom of heaven. This is the message that God is saying, listen, I have an eternal kingdom that will not end. I have a social system. I have an authority structure. I have thrones and dominions. I have rooms. I have access passes to high places. And it all requires a certain kind of conformity. But it's not going to be had by your measly little fig tree leaves. I want to change your nature. I want to change who you are. And out of that will come garments of glory that conceal your nakedness. That's the reality of what we've been invited to. And to that end, you have these promises. Now, in Revelation 19, verse 6 to 8, it says this. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. Well, what are they making all that noise for? Don't they know God's not deaf? <laughs> Said the religious spirit. <laughs> Sorry if that was your mom. For the Lord God, omnipotent, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Hmm, let us be glad. Hey, this, you could preach on this for hours. Well, you know, if I want to come to church and put, have a sour face all the time, you know, it's my business. Let us be glad. You know, there's a requirement in the Old Testament that if you didn't come before the Lord with gladness, 
It was a very severe penalty. Do you know that monarchies down through the ages have, have actually mimicked these kinds of things such that if you came into the presence of the king, Nebuchadnezzar or somebody else, you took your life in your hand if you didn't come in in a way that pleased him. It's like, listen, I'm already depressed. I need to be surrounded by happiness. Don't you come in here with your sour face. I'm the important one. So that's, uh, you know, the cupbearer, right? Is it Ezra or Nehemiah? Nehemiah, the cupbearer, comes in, and, and he was sad. And the king says, why are you sad? And he's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> Now, we're going to get to this. We're going to get to this. Well, I just got to put on a fake face then? No. You got to find the right source of that gladness. You see, yeah, I understand, you know, you living out of your emotions and, you know, when it's flat, you're flat. When it's up, you're up is your version of integrity. (laughs) Good on you. But God is saying, no, no, I, you need to be glad and rejoice in my presence. But I'm not saying the fake version, your little fig tree things. I have another version. I have a source of gladness, and I want you to find it. Jeez. Now, when you think about your life, is that, does that reflect your life? Or is it like, no, being a Christian is hard. Man, worshiping God is so hard, giving him all that attention and everything. You remember a time when you were maybe captivated by somebody? Anybody ever dated? Anybody ever fall in love? Anybody ever have a crush? I remember, man, my wife, like we were dating, and she called me one night. She was, she was a little sad. I was 15 minutes away. Wait right there. I got in the car. <laughs> I mean, nothing was too good for her. That was easy. Well, how did you get the motivation to get out of bed, get dressed, go... I don't know. Right? So we live out of these motivations that are rooted in our needs. And God is saying, listen, there's a catalytic power. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. There is a source of energy that can enable you to pursue me in inhuman ways. You can spend your life doing the least and being resentful about being required or being asked to do more, or you could find the, the catalyst. Like, man, I'm not, if you looked around, you think, man, I think that person's tapping into something I'm not, because either that or they just love to look like a fool. And there are those. And sometimes what we don't want to do is look like that. So, you know, even keeled, quiet, I'm just gonna find my, what's the middle of the road here? Okay, let me see, there's the, there's the ecstatic side and there's the um, dead side. I'll just find something, I'll hide somewhere in the middle. And that's what we generally do at services. We, we hide in the middle. Okay, what's extreme here? No, not that, except the ones who wanna be seen. But, here's the, but also the ones who wanna please God. See, that's the problem. The ones who want to be seen and the ones who want to please God look the same. (laughs) So there's a big risk in pleasing God. Because there's always somebody going to say, show off. 
Anyway, we're, we're, we're getting a little bit away from. So there's a reason why he says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. I mean, let me t- throw this out there. You can think about it later. Who's in the audience watching the ma- marriage? We're invited to come to the marriage, but who, who's, in the, who's in the wedding party? Think about that. There's an implication there that make your head spin. And to her was, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the linen is the righteousness of the saints. There's another scripture, I won't go to it, but it says, for the bride has made herself ready. Well, how do you make yourself ready? Painting a smile on your face. How you doing? Great. You? (laughs) No, I... We're not exhorting you at any time to be fake. We're exhorting you to find the ultimate reality that's available. It's always found in his presence. It's always found in him. And so I'm going to cut, cut to the core of this now. But it says, she has made herself ready. And so there's, there's a calling. There's a challenge We have to make ourselves ready. Well, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you in a minute, the ultimate secret. The ultimate secret, oh, you wanna write that down. Get your pen and paper out. We want fine linen, we wanna be clean, we wanna be right, we wanna be clothed, we wanna be be doing righteous acts. But these things, how do you make yourself ready? How do you get fine linen? And how do you do righteous acts? because there are a lot of righteous acts that look good. The the tree of the knowledge of good and evil has a good side, but it still is death. All right, your good friends that hate God, don't want anything to do with faith, but are, are really good people, are motivated by the tree of death, because there is no life outside of Christ. They're motivated by, by, well, you know, to fit in here, you have to do this. And we're, you know, we're, on a, we're being graded on a curve here, but, but I gotta cut the lawn, I gotta do what's right, I gotta smile at the right times, I gotta do this. And some people can do that so outrageously, diligently, it's crazy. But nobody did it better than the Pharisees, and Jesus said to them, you also will likewise perish, just like those guys on whom the, the tower fell. Why? Because their righteousness was nothing. It was better than anything you've seen in the West. All right, so the, the mistake we make is we're building from the wrong foundation. And God resists that wrong foundation. And you want him to resist that wrong foundation. You want to get to the place where you're so desperate, you're so uh, undone by your inability to do what's right. See, the, the hardest people for God to get to change their garments is those whose garments are pretty nice. 
The ones that are completely soiled, you know, the drug addicts and the alcoholics, they, they know they're dirty. Their, their issue is not wanting to be, not want to be clean, it's just can't believing they can be clean. On the other side of the equation, you got people who think they're already clean. And those are the two realities of evangelism. Those are the two people groups that we're trying to reach. And each of them take a different message. What did Jesus do with the Pharisees? Hypocrites! Full of dead men's bones. There's nothing genuine about you your whole life. You slivering snake. That's how he dealt with them. That's what he said. Hypocrite, liar, you're full of evil, yet you smile at me with a dagger in your hand. Yeah, those are the people we like. Oddly enough, until we get their dagger, like, oh, they are evil. <laughs> but they got such a nice smile. <laughs> Glory to God. So, let's, let's cut to the punchline. How do I get that stuff? How do I, how do I, how does that happen? Only this way. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. It says, now... The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's the only way you get there. That's, and we've gone over this again and again and again. So what do we do in the meantime? Do we just wait for this to happen? No, because part of what fuels the intensity of pursuing him is you trying in your own strength and failing. Because what happens is that, see, if you, if you think you can do it, then you should try. Until you don't think you can do it anymore. Because when you don't think you can do it, the only other option is your heart begins to lean on him and turn to him. Oh, there's so many things spinning around the room. But some of us have decided, well, you know, God's merciful, and so he doesn't really have a significant requirement. Because, you know, that's just legalism. And he just loves me the way I am. Oh, he loves you, but he, he dislikes the way you are. He can do that. You can have children that you love, but whose behaviors you dislike. <laughs> yeah, a lot of nods in the room. Now, what does that look like? What does what the glory to glory look like? I want to tell you right now, it's an undressing and a redressing. There's something about us that recoils from the undressing part. It's the most horrific. I mean, you know, I'm not talking now about, you know, being found in a compromising position, not fully clothed, and somebody walks in the room. Now I'm talking about the glory of God coming and you not having the right garments on. I mean, it says this. It says that the men will call for the rocks to fall on them to hide from the face of him. Why? Because it, 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 it is showing reality for what it is. And when you suddenly realize you are completely corrupt, filled with murder, pride, 
resistant to God, God-hater, and that righteousness comes, oh man. So I had a moment like that. I think I've referenced it before. I don't know if I've told you the whole story. I'm gonna try and tell you part of the story. But in my first year of Bible college at Christ for the Nations in 1982, I'd been saved, the glory of the Lord came in a, into a bar in Grand Center, Cold Lake. Next morning I said, my mom, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Bible college. She was astounded. She thought, uh, she didn't know what happened. And I didn't have a language, I didn't even, the, the experience was so profound, I had no words to explain it to her. So I couldn't and I didn't. And, but I ended up in Bible college and, and you know, quickly I get into that culture and all of a sudden, you know, it's very easy to, to start doing the, wrong, the right things. And, but I didn't, I didn't know the difference between, you know, I'm excited about the changes, but I don't know how much is actually transformation and how, many is, how much is me trying to measure up. I have no idea. Of course, I think the best of myself. <laughs> I give myself the benefit of the doubt, unlike others. <laughs> And, and so I'm thinking, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, you know, and I, because I started taking steps, and it felt like sacrifice. I mean, I remember the first chapel I was in, and I'm standing there, you know, three quarters of the way back, and the music starts, all of a sudden people go running down to the front. I think, where are they going? And they go down the front, and they're doing the Pentecostal two-step. And it's, you know, it's like, wow, they do this in church? This is amazing. And I watch for like the next 10, 15 days, and I go, ah, I think, and I'm, I'm looking at the persona, that, you know, these are actually the most zealous Christians. These are the ones like I want to be with. These are the ones that really seem to like they love God, not like these sourpusses in the back over here. So I thought, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Plus, you know, I was thinking, God really deserves that. Plus, you know, it looks like it could be good. But I was so self-conscious. I mean, when I was unsaved, it took me three beers to get on the dance floor. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, some of you. <laughs> so it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna, I'm gonna have to stretch out a little bit to get down there, and finally I did it, and after a while I was blending in quite well, and next thing I know I was leading the pack. <laughs> but it wasn't long before it was like leading the pack, but really most of my attention, hey guys, you guys who are back there refuse to love God like I do? Take some notes. <laughs> oh, self-righteousness is an ugly thing. But if you don't know that's what it is, if you don't know that's the garment you've put on, you don't know. Well, anyway, I, I'm running out of time. I might go a little longer. But I, a moment was coming. A moment of glory to glory. Glory to glory is like, yeah, there's some light in the room, but there's a lot of dark corners. More glory is more light. You start to see clearly from a different perspective. And I remember, I should have known that something was coming. Because I'm standing there with some guys and we're talking one day and, and uh, you know, I'm... I feel now, now like I'm a pretty successful Christian. I'm fasting on a regular basis. I'm praying in tongues an hour a day. I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm having authentic, powerful experiences with God. It wasn't like God was mad at me or anything. No, this was a prerequisite. This, is what, this was the journey to this great unclothing. <laughs> 
<laughs> my diligence was the foundation for God to strip me. Just realize this. Not waiting, but doing my very best so he could say, I don't want any of that. <laughs> but you gotta do your best, otherwise your heart doesn't really turn. And so I'm standing with these guys and you know, I'm quite accepted, I'm doing things well. And now you gotta realize there's a backdrop to this because I remember the first couple of days I was there, I was going to a pizza place with some guys in, in a car and I accidentally said the F word. And they turned and looked at me with such, yeah, horror. And, and, I, and I remember, you know, that internal chameleon says, don't do that again. Like, like in this world, you know, that's, penalty, that's penalized with death. <laughs> Out of the camp. But anyway, so, you know, I didn't realize how many of the things I was doing was, was a product of those observations. How much is in your life, how much of your Christianity today is I just don't want the ire of other Christians. I just want to fit in. I just want to look like I'm one of the bunch. Anyway, this is a glorious message. You should be happy about this. God wants to strip you naked. Whoop, whoop. But I'm standing with these guys and we're talking. All of a sudden, one of the guys, and I'm thinking, did I hear that right? Is he telling me that he says, I'm proud? I mean, he wasn't just saying, we have a pride problem. He was saying specifically, yeah, you have a lot of pride. I thought, but you know, I had to do the Christian thing. So I was like, oh yeah, well, I'll have to pray about that. I was seething. I was, I had murder inside of me. You know, if God had not saved me, I might have killed somebody, honestly. And there was, it was bubbling up. It was, I had felt my face get all hot and I'm thinking, how do you look calm? <laughs> and I, I just couldn't believe the level of rage that came up. Well, I could believe it, it was, but I thought, well, I'm not like this anymore. Well, you're on your way. <laughs> you know, we've lopped the top off that piece of that dandelion, but there's still a, a stalk and a root. And <laughs> we're, we're getting there, Mark. Don't worry about it. But I just didn't understand the process. So one night I'm sitting in there, and I was, let me tell you, I was diligent. I'd read 1 Corinthians 13 virtually every night to see how well I'm doing. And... Uh, and it was like a checklist for me. Well, this night I was reading and the glory of the Lord came in the room. And I can't explain how horrific it was, but for 20 seconds, the most intense manifestation of the glory of God came in the room. And it easily and quickly peeled back these behaviors like an onion peel. And what seemed so permanent, what seemed so authentic and genuine, immediately got seen from my eyes for the charade the, that it was, the chameleonized performance that came from, not from love of God. Did I love God? Yes, but that wasn't what was really catalyzing my behavior. 
It was, I want to be seen as good. I want to fit in here. I want to be one. Because that's what I'd learned in the world. I'd learned to be the chameleon. I'd learned to put on the facade that people needed and wanted. I'd get around anybody and say the exact right things that they wanted to hear. So I was, I was good at that. But I'd just, I'd just taken that into my new life. And that's what I was doing. I had no idea. But when the glory came on me, I saw everything I did that I thought was praiseworthy, and it came to a pillar of salt. I mean, it just turned to dust in front of me. It, li it literally just, and I saw it for what it was, pride. And I read, you know, love is not puffed up, and I, I saw this, look at me, everyone. I don't need to be anybody else. Who would, who's better than me? <laughs> I, love does not parade itself. I saw myself immediately dancing. It's like looking back, judging all those that weren't. It was, it was beyond horrific. It was like, how could you be so entirely one thing and not know it? Like, that's the thing. You, may, you think, well, you must be uniquely deceived. I was not uniquely deceived. I was zealously deceived. But that deception is what hangs over all of creation. That's, that's, that's the deception in the darkness that you, you came out of the womb with. That impulse of self-preservation that will cause you to do anything to fit in and to not be, appear to be naked, unworthy, undignified it is the driving force of your entire life even as a christian now let me just say this just because you didn't have a dramatic moment like this doesn't mean god hasn't been eroding it okay god just gave me a dramatic version of this so that i could teach it as a as the necessary progression of your life of faith but everything that god is doing in your life when conviction comes and you get mad about it is he's trying to unclothe you because those what you're wearing is dirty and he wants you to wear white linen not because he wants to bring attention to your soiled clothing he does but only as a point of of exchange as a part of a process but God penetrated my life, showed me all my behaviors and how horrifically uh, calculated everything was. Not up here. I was completely sincere up here. But you know, as, as I got closer to this moment, it's like little hints came along. Little hints like the time when the wrath is rising up and I could have killed that guy. And that happened more than once. But, but it's like God saying, just, you know, don't get so high on yourself because there's a moment coming. You want that moment. You want many moments like that. You want your life to be punctuated with as, with as many of those as is possible because it's going from glory to glory, from glory to glory. And if you've never had a moment where you've even felt like you wanted to run from a room, I, I, want you to, I want to say this, start desiring them. Because the level of transformation, not to your behavior, you can change your behavior any way you want if you really want to. Chameleons, 
Desperation, desire can do that. But to change the foundation from which you are operating is impossible without the glory of God. The glory of God can change us so profoundly. Uh, And yet, what happens is this, we become satisfied with fitting in. We become satisfied with, you know what, I'm a a decent Christian, I'm not doing as many of the bad things I used to do, I'm a pretty good human being. No, you're not, but you can be a glorious human being. That's the reason for the glory, is to change a people, to make you superhuman, to to, to expunge every last piece of rage inside of you. To, you know that titillation you feel when somebody gives you a compliment and, made my week that feeds something should people not compliment you no they should you just shouldn't receive it the way you do you shouldn't need it what is that stuff God has promised us a level of transformation unlike we've ever seen or experienced and let me tie this into the last the last application I keep talking about a generation of Jacob who seek his face why is, it, why is the last generation, the prophetic generation, defined as the generation that seek his face? Because the glory to glory requires a seeking on a level that we've never known. But the world around us tells us, ah, don't be so hard on yourself. You're a pretty good Christian, you know. God loves you. We don't have to seek him that hard. You know, we cry, I'm crying out for God. God, you know, God's not deaf. You, you know, you can do that. Quietly. Tell that to blind Barabbas. Tell that to the woman with the issue of blood. Tell it to the ones who got changed because of pursuit. Yeah, God did touch some people who didn't have that unusual thing, but here's the thing. Are you going to leave it to chance? Are you leaving transformation to chance? Are you leaving becoming the man of God, being prepared for eternity, being dressed in white linen, being, being cleansed in impossible ways to chance, I, well, I hope God likes me enough to visit me. Make yourself ready. That's what the bride did. She made herself ready. So what I'm praying for tonight, this morning, I mean, is not an, an onus on you, not that you feel guilty, not that you feel compelled to, uh, no, desire. Desire coupled with faith. Faith is, faith is, he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Who does he reward? He rewards the seeker. He's a rewarder of those who pay attention to drawing near to him. Listen to me, this is important. Well, how often do I have to go to church? Church is a place you can seek him. It's not the only place, but it is a significant place. Places, church is a place where we get the benefit of other people's light and the momentum of their seeking. So that's good too. Because most of us don't know how to seek God. And even when we come here, we fit right in the middle where it's safe. (laughs) It's like... We're leaving a lot on the table.
Adam and Eve were naked and not afraid because they were, they were clothed in something else that emanated from a foundation of being accepted in the presence of God. Father, I pray today, let's stand up together. I'm gonna pray on your behalf, and if you don't have to repeat anything I'm saying, but in your heart or with your words, if you wanna say amen, yes. Father, we wanna say, Lord, that, that we wanna seek you. We wanna be part of the generation of Jacob that seeks your face. Father, we wanna be people who are not tethered to the middle ground in the world that we live in. Father, we wanna be people who, who are, who, where, where the greatest fear is not looking stupid in the midst of other Christians. Our greatest fear is to be left out while everybody else is being transformed. Father, we want more of your presence. God, we want more than this Christianity that we have. We want transformation. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, you put something in our hearts, oh God, that enables us to run and run hard. Father, help us navigate this process of pursuing you, I pray. Father, in Jesus' name. Oh God, unlock inside of us that David passion. That David passion, it wasn't tepid, it wasn't lukewarm, it wasn't concerned about who was looking. He didn't even think about his wife's scorn, not for a second. Yet we come in a room like this, it's like we can't even think about anything else except how we're being perceived. Oh God, free us, Lord, free us. There's a grace being ministered. God is looking for lovers of God, pursuers of God. There's an intensity that's available that's not born in egotistical flamboyance. It's just a necessity of coming before a glorious king who demands that we come before him with gladness and rejoice. Father, help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Yeah, uh, I just love that. You know, uh, you know, when I think about you know, the rewards we receive for seeking him, I think sometimes we're confused about what those rewards look like, right? And, and I'll say this, one of the things that I know God's done for me is he's changed who I am. That sinful nature, that part of me that I despise and is hidden, right? That's the nature he begins to change as I begin to seek him and dwell on his name. And the more we seek him, the more that inner nature, that part of you that you want to change but you can't change, right? Because you cannot change it in your own strength. But I'm telling you, as you seek him, that will change. That's the God we serve. I, I'm a testimony of that. He's done that inside of me, right? And I know he can do it inside of you. So I just pray the blessing of the Lord upon you throughout the rest of this week. Bless you in Jesus' name.